Well, before I begin this morning, let me fill you in on uh, how our summer campaign to raise funds for the Cure Hospital in Zambia has resulted, uh, what the results are. We uh, spent about six weeks telling you about uh, the Ministry of Cure, Cure in Zambia, uh, bringing help to uh, the orth- orthopedic issues in that part of the world. And we, uh, over those six weeks, uh, raised as an entire church family uh, a little over $266,000. Uh, you may recall our goal was $150,000. Uh, so some, probably about 1,000 people contributed, uh, 466 adults and a whole bunch of our kids through VBS. So we want to thank you for your uh, amazing generosity over the summer months. And we look forward to hearing how God uses uh, that generosity to serve and minister to children and families in that part of the world. So thank you so much for sharing in our Serve the World ministry. Well, when I was about seven years old, I learned my first important and somewhat painful lesson about friendship. I had two friends uh, back when I was young uh, in those days. Um, At least I thought they were my friends, uh, Jim and Bobby, who lived right across the street from our house on 23rd Street in Akron, Ohio. Now, this is actually how the house looks today, some 60 years after we lived there. And I want you to notice two things. Notice the detached garage all the way in the back and the gravel driveway. Those will play a part in this little story. Uh, Now, both Jim and Bobby lived across the street, uh, Jim straight across the street, and Bobby about two houses down. And they were a little older than me. I was like seven, they were nine or ten years old, Uh, but we rode our bikes together up and down the block, we played kick the can together, remember kick the can? We played that together and we played ball together and stuff, they were my little friends. Uh, And I just started to like baseball at that age and I wanted to be a pitcher, uh, so I practiced by throwing rocks from our gravel driveway. And I had a pretty good arm, even at that time. I discovered that I could throw rocks uh, all the way over trees that lined our backyard, a small backyard. Um, I was not conscious of the fact that there were other houses uh, in that next block. And after a few complaints from neighbors, uh, my dad uh, issued a rule. It was sort of the 11th commandment in my family, which was no rock throwing. No rock, he was very serious about it, no rock throwing. But one day, soon after he established that rule, Bobby and Jim and I were playing out in the street on the sidewalk. I don't remember what we were doing, just messing around or playing. And One thing led to another, and Bobby suddenly said to me, I bet you can't throw a rock over your garage. Here's a close-up on that garage, uh, and you'll notice the four windows there. (laughs) When we lived there, there was only one window in that garage door, and it was about six inches by six inches, one window. Now, I think Bobby knew the rule my dad had set. Uh, I think he knew I wasn't supposed to throw rocks. But even if he didn't, it wasn't a terribly smart thing to do because of that window. It was about 50, 60 feet away. Um, But I knew the rule, but I also knew I could easily throw a rock over that garage. I mean, I could throw them over the trees in the back of our yard. And plus, my older friend had sort of challenged me, and I wanted to impress him. So I picked up a rock, and I threw it high and hard and straight into the middle of that tiny window. Couldn't do it again in 100 tries. It shattered the window. Um, and I knew I was in trouble. And at that moment, my friend, Bobby, said, I'm telling. (laughs) I said, please don't tell. He said, what do you give me not to? Now, I don't know what became of Bobby later in life. I really don't. We moved away like the next year. But I think he may have gone into organized crime because (laughs) that is clearly extortion. And I was desperate, so I said, 
I'll give you all the money in my piggy bank. He said, let's go see. So he tr we, we uh, marched up to my room in my house, and I dumped out all the coins I had, literally in a piggy bank. I dumped out my entire life savings on the bed. We counted it up, 96 cents. <laughs> and he took all of it. My entire life savings as hush money and agreed not to tell on me. And he didn't. Now, leaving aside the whole issue of disobedience to my father, which was the far more important issue as a whole other story, I did learn something about friendship, at least about true friendship. Now, we're in a summer series, as all of you know, if you've been with us this summer, uh, from the book of Proverbs called the, called the Pursuit of Wisdom. Now, Proverbs is this ancient book, a collection of these little sayings, uh, a collection of God's wisdom for living rightly sort of God's principles for living life well. And we've looked at how God's wisdom impacts a number of areas of our lives, including wisdom in family, wisdom in work, last week wisdom and temptation. And today we're going to look at wisdom and friendship. Now there's no single chapter in Proverbs that covers friendship, but you find these verses scattered all the way through the book Lots of them that mention friendship. So I'm going to read through several of uh, these verses before we get started, and then we'll dig in. So just watch the screens as I re jump through Proverbs reading these verses. Proverbs 18, 24. One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin. Or they go broke. Uh, and there is a friend, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Proverbs 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. Proverbs 29, 27, 9. Perfume and incense bring joy to the heart, and the pleasantness of a friend springs from their heartfelt advice. Proverbs 12. The righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Proverbs 13. Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. Proverbs 27. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted but an enemy multiplies kisses. And then Proverbs 27, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. So the first thing I want to talk about as we get started today is the gift of friendship. Proverbs presents to us the gift of friendship. Let me ask, how many of you uh, have a Facebook account? Okay, a number of you. Uh, Facebook was uh, launched in 2004, and pretty quickly became a global phenomenon. Today, there are 239 million Facebook users in the US alone. That's 71% of every man, woman, and child living in America has a Facebook account. 2.99 billion users worldwide. And if you use Facebook at all, you know that one of the little features on Facebook is the friend button, right? So all you have to do is just click the Add Friend button, and if the person on the other end accepts, voila, you are Facebook friends. For example, right now, I checked just today, I have 954 <laughs> Facebook friends. Some of you aren't that impressed with that. but I, <laughs> Pastor Jeff has almost 3,000 Facebook friends. <laughs> I don't think he really has that many friends. But... We have lots of friends. Now, some of the people on my Facebook list I knew long time ago, like in high school or college, people I haven't seen in person or spoken to in like 40 years, but we're Facebook friends. Some are people I've known through my role here at church. 
for uh, 37 years or so. Some are, are just acquaintances I've made in the community. And they reached out and said, can I be your friend? And some are actually complete strangers to me. I looked through the list, I have no idea who some of these people are, but they're my Facebook friends. And only a few are my truly, really and truly are my friends, only a few. Now here's the thing, Facebook and other social media platforms that are in our world today, I think are actually symbolic of a cultural misunderstanding and devaluation of what friendship actually is. One writer put it this way, Social media gives the illusion of friendship that compensates for the lack of real friendship. I think that's true. Our modern culture uh, prioritizes lots of different kinds of relationships over true friendship. For example, our culture prioritizes romantic relationships. Now we know that the Bible tells us the highest form of that kind of relationship is marriage, which is a gift from God and is a good thing. And it's a special form of friendship. We celebrate that. But we all know by looking around, our culture has drifted far, far from God's ideal for marriage relationships. And those romantic relationships now are simply a fixation, a selfish fixation on physical attraction or sexual attraction. Our culture focuses on or prioritizes family relationships between parents and children, between siblings, and that's a good thing, and those are important things. We talked about wisdom in the family just a couple of weeks ago, but those are different from friendship relationships. We prioritize work relationships. A couple of weeks ago, we saw that Proverbs itself tells us that work is good. Work comes from God. But work relationships are mostly transactional in nature. That is, in some way, uh, we benefit from each other, mostly financially, through work relationships. They are sort of necessary acquaintances, but not often true friendship. So we tend to fill our lives with all of these relationships with little room, little time, and little energy left for the kind of friendships that Proverbs talk about. And I think this is especially true for men in our culture. I think over time, many men lose friendships because all their energy goes other places, But it can also happen for women as well. The truth is we were created, the Bible says, for friendship. We were created for friendship. We need friendship. The Bible presents us, after all, with a God who exists in this mysterious but intimate relationship of three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, in the Christian doctrine of the Trinity. So what makes our view of God so unique among all the world religions? Genesis tells us that this personal God, this relational God, then created human beings, us, in his own image, meaning we were also created as relational beings. And then we read in Genesis 2, The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now this, of course, leads to the creation of woman, Eve, the ordination of marriage and the beginning of the family, but it also tells us we were not created to be alone. Proverbs tells us that the gift of friendship gives us at least three other gifts. First, the gift of companionship. Proverbs 18 again says, One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. 
The contrast here in this ancient wisdom is between unreliable friends, or we might say fair-weather friends, and faithful friends. The Hebrew word used here, translated sticks, means to cling to, to cleave to. It's one who will not let go. In other words, a faithful companion. There's growing evidence, as I studied this, that despite the millions and millions of people using Facebook and other social media platforms, there's actually a growing loneliness in our culture. For example, the number of people reporting that they have no friends has quadrupled in the last 30 years in our culture. Depending on the study you read, between 33% and 61% of Americans report being lonely. And here's something interesting. The percentage of younger people feeling lonely is nearly twice as high as those who are older. For example, more than 80% of people under 20 years old in our country report being lonely, and only 40% of those over 60 years old report being lonely. And that tells me, it simply suggests, that our focus today on electronic friendships is actually making us more lonely, not less lonely. And loneliness is also related to health issues. One study found that the negative effect of loneliness is like smoking 15 cigarettes a day. The lack of meaningful friendships can be linked to to higher levels of stress, higher levels of depression, and even shorter lifespans. But there's some good news in all of this bad news. The good news is that statistics also show that people who attend religious services regularly, that is, people who are part of a church community, experience less loneliness than other people in our culture than those who do not attend church at all. Which is why I think one of the things that when and if revival, not old-fashioned tent revivals, but people coming back to church, looking back for God, one of the things that will make that happen is people's hunger for genuine friendships. And one of the things people will tend to respond to is an invitation to church from someone they regard as a friend. Now, throughout the Bible, we see all kinds of examples of friendship. One of the most prominent ones is young King David and Jonathan, the son of King Saul. We read in 1 Samuel 18, after David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. In the New Testament, we see the Apostle Paul uh, traveling often with a whole series of companions throughout his life, men like Barnabas and Silas and Luke and Timothy, men who traveled with him, men who suffered with him, men who were arrested with him, and men who were imprisoned with him, men who shared his passion for the gospel. We see Jesus choosing 12 followers, and of those 12 disciples, he chose three, Peter, James, and John, to be his closest friends, men he invited to pray with him on the night before he died. At our preaching team meeting this past Thursday morning, we all meet and talk about sermons, and we were talking about this issue of friendship and wisdom and friendship, and Pastor Blake Glosson, who's our brand new pastoral resident, who is not married, said this. He said, as a single guy, friendship is like oxygen for me, he said. Now, we celebrate marriage as a gift from God, and it is. But friendship is also a gift from God, and therefore, it allows us to celebrate singleness as a gift as well. And our culture misses that truth so often. 
Secondly, friendship offers the gift of presence and care. One of the most beautiful descriptions of friendship in the Bible, I think, comes from one of the most painful parts of the Bible, in the book of Job. In the book of Job, we're introduced to a man named Job, who was a good and righteous man, who uh, loved and served God. He was called the greatest man in all the East. We're also told that Satan attacks Job with great calamity and pain in an attempt to prove to God that Job only worships him because God pays him to. In other words, blesses him with prosperity, therefore God worships him, Job worships God. So Satan causes Job to lose his wealth, loses all ten of his children, eventually his health, his body is covered with painful boils, and we read this story in Job chapter 2. When Job's three friends, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite, heard about all the troubles that had come upon him, they set out from their homes and met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. When they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. They began to weep aloud, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him, because they saw how great his suffering was. What a great, beautiful illustration of friendship. Proverbs 20 says, Many claim to have unfailing love, but a faithful person who can find? A true friend shows up and is present in the best of times and in the worst of times. A true friend moves toward our pain, not away from our pain. A true friend sticks with us, fair or foul. Job's friends hear of his suffering. They come at great distance to be with him. They sit with him. They grieve with him. And notice, they don't say a word. And if you know the story, you know it's when they start talking and trying to explain to Job why he's suffering, that things go downhill. Personally, I'll never forget the day. Uh, my youngest brother was killed in a traffic accident in 1988. A couple hours later, just hours after we got the news, a friend from this church showed up at our house with two plane tickets so my wife and I could travel to be with our family. He gave me the tickets, didn't say a word, tears in his eyes, and that said it all. Friendship. Proverbs 17, 17 says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. A true friend is faithful and loyal, not fair weather, and shows up when things are falling apart. Thirdly, friendship offers the gift of wise counsel. Proverbs 27, 9, Perfume and incense bring joy to the heart, and the pleasantness of a friend springs from their heartfelt advice. The New Living translates it this way, and I don't have this on the screen. The heartfelt counsel of a friend is as sweet as perfume and incense. If I go back to the story of David and Jonathan just for a moment, uh, King Saul, Jonathan's father, has become, becomes wildly jealous of David and his successes, his popularity, and sets out to kill him. Jonathan helps David escape from his father, and when David is at the lowest point of despair and fear, hiding to try to save his own life, we read this story in 1 Samuel 23. And, John, and Saul's son Jonathan went to David at Horesh and helped him find strength in God. Don't be afraid, he said. My father, father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel and I will be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. The two of them made a covenant before the Lord. Then Jonathan went home, but David remained at Horesh. You see that? Jonathan helped his friend David find strength in God. 
He reminded his friend of the promises and protection of God. He offered wise counsel. One writer said it this way, we cannot become wise without God's gift of friendship. Secondly, Proverbs points us to the power of friendship. Power of friendship. Years ago in my uh, youth pastor days, I knew two high school guys who were good friends. Grew up together, grew up in the church together, um, were leaders in the youth group together. Uh, But as they went on through high school, uh, I'll call them Nick and Tommy. One of them, Tommy, uh, kind of got caught up in the popular crowd and started hanging around with other kids and eventually led into joining in parties on weekends where there was alcohol involved. Well, one Friday or Saturday night, uh, Nick, uh, the other friend, was supposed to do something with Tommy, and Tommy didn't show up. And Nick had a bad feeling about where his friend might be and what he might be doing. So he jumped in his Jeep and started driving around town looking for his friend. He drove after rumored party house after party house, didn't see uh, his friend's car. Finally, he got to a a cul-de-sac, dozens of cars, and saw his friend's car. And he realized that Tommy was in that house in a huge party. And so he backed his Jeep up and and drove it, pointing it at the house with his headlights on, his high beams on. And he got out of his Jeep and he stood in front of it and started shouting at the top of his lungs for his friend to come out. Tommy, I know you're in there. Come out here right now or I'm coming in to get you. And he kept shouting. And the guy, people inside heard this guy shouting out in front of the party and they went to Tommy and said, Tommy, some guy's out there shouting your name. He wants you to come out. And Tommy goes, ah, that's Nick. Tell him to leave me alone. And so two guys come out of the house and confront Nick and say, hey, Tommy says he wants you to leave. And Nick goes, I'm not leaving until he comes out. And the two guys try to get tough. They, they walk toward him, threatening him, like, uh, we, we, said, I don't, you, we said you should leave. And he walked toward them, balled his fists up and said, I don't think you heard me. I'm not leaving until he comes out. Now he happened to be captain of the football team. So those two guys decided when they saw he was ready to fight both of them, they went back inside. And they got Tommy and said, Tommy, he's not leaving. You better go out there. So he comes out and he goes, Nick, what are you doing? And he goes, Nick goes, what are you doing? He said, I'm just trying to have fun. He goes, you're not having fun. You're being dumb. And you're coming with me right now. And grabbed him and threw him in his Jeep and drove him away from the party, and drove around for two hours, pleading with his friend to change his ways. Now, making a really long story short, what happened as a result of that friendship was within five years, both of those young men became pastors. In Proverbs, we see two things here. The power of friendship, first of all, to lead astray. Proverbs 12 says, The righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Proverbs 13, walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. The only verse I'm reading here, this is a verse out of Psalm, Psalm 1. Uh, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but those whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditates on his law day and night. A so-called friend who invites you to participate in foolishness is not a true friend. This is what I learned when I was seven years old. Bobby was a playmate, but he wasn't a real friend because he encouraged me to disobey my father. A friend who leads you or invites you to disregard God is not a true friend. Now, as followers of Jesus, we are to build relationships with all kinds of people, believers and unbelievers, those who are like us and those who are not like us. Jesus befriended tax collectors and sinners, so we know that. We're to do the same. But a true friendship can only be forged with someone who's walking the same direction that you're walking. A true friendship can only be forged with someone who shares your faith 
who encourages you and challenges you in your spiritual growth. Secondly, we see the power of friendship to protect and to sharpen. Proverbs 27 says, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Now, what does the ancient writer mean by wounds from a friend can be trusted? Simply means that a friend is one who cares enough, who loves enough to tell us the truth, even when that truth might be difficult for us to hear. That's what Nick did for Tommy all those years ago. In 1983, there was a campaign launched to address drunk driving in America. The slogan came up, which was produced by an advertising company, was friends don't let friends drive drunk. We've all seen those signs. Friends don't let friends drive drunk. Now, I think that ad company had no idea they were, they were talking from the book of Proverbs. They weren't thinking about the Bible, but it comes right out of Proverbs. That is, a true friend will seek to protect, even if it means confront, confronting or wounding their friend. It means a true friend loves enough to tell the truth with grace and sensitivity and kindness, but still the truth. Now, the flip side of that is that a true friend will also invite and receive correction. That's why Proverbs 27 says, as iron sharpens iron, one person sharpens another. In a true friendship, there's truth. And where there's truth, there is sometimes friction and sparks. But the product of that is a sharpening of both friends. Third thing we want to see today is the model of friendship. The model of friendship. So if that's the kind of friend God wants for us, and that's the kind of friend we all look for and long for, one who is faithful, one who sticks with us in thick or thin, one who encourages us, one who helps us find strength in God, the real question is, I think, how can we learn to be that kind of friend to someone else? Because we cannot have that kind of friend until we can be that kind of friend. We cannot have that kind of friend until we can be that kind of friend. In John chapter 15, we read a story of the night before Jesus died. He's trying to explain to his disciples what he's going to do for them, what he's going to do for us. And in the course of that conversation, he says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I've made known to you. We see a couple of things here. First, that Jesus offers us friendship by his choice. Now, true friendship cannot be demanded. It cannot be forced or it's not obligatory. and must be offered and received as a gift. Jesus says, I no longer call you servants because a servant is an obligatory relationship. A servant has an obligatory relationship with his or her master. They have no choice in the matter. Jesus says, I've called you friends because he has chosen us in love and he calls us to choose him. The second thing we see is that Jesus offers his friendship through sacrificial love. In that same conversation, he says, greater love has no one than this than a man lay down his life for his friends. Jesus' offer of friendship is not transactional. That is, he doesn't say, I will be your friend if you do this or that. He doesn't say, I will be your friend, I will love you if you love me back. Or, if I get something in return from you. He doesn't offer us friendship because he needs anything from us. He simply lays down his life for us and invites us into a relationship with himself. And in this way, Jesus becomes 
our model for a friendship. He says in John 13, A new command I give you, love one another, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And here's the truth about friendship he's telling us. If you want a friend, you have to be a friend. That sounds simple. If you want a friend, you have to be a friend. To be a true friend means to be faithful, loyal, to show up, to care when things are falling apart, to be willing to speak the truth even when it hurts, and above all, like Jonathan did for David, to help your friend find strength in God when they need it. And I believe that the only way we can be that kind of friend, there are all kinds of acquaintances and all kinds of friendships in our world, but to be that kind of friend, the kind of friend that Jesus is to us, we have to know we already have that kind of friend. We have that friend in Jesus who knows you, who chooses you in love, who comes to you in your pain and in your failures, who laid down his life for you, who forgives you, and who promises never to leave you. He just asks that we choose him back. We bow with me as I close today. Lord, today we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gift of friendship, which is so easy for us to overlook or to take for granted. Teach us to become true and faithful friends to others, even as you are our own great, true, and faithful friend. We pray these things in your name. Many of you know this, but for those who don't, at the end of every one of our services here at South Street, we have prayer team members down front. If so if you have an issue in your own life or your family's life you'd like to share prayer about, uh, please join them up here in front. They'd love to spend that time with you. Receive now the benediction. May we go now in the name of Jesus, who gave himself for us and is our true and faithful friend. Amen. Have a great day.